If you're a leader or an aspiring leader in the business of lifelong learning, you're in the right place. I'm Salisa Steele. And I'm Jeff Cobb. And this is the Leading Learning Podcast. Hello, hello, and welcome to episode 75 of the Leading Learning Podcast. In this episode, we're going to talk with Kristen Arnold, founder and president of Quality Process Consultants, about her experience with and research into panels as a form of delivering content at events. And I'm sure everyone listening has attended panel sessions at conferences before, and I would dare say, wondered if they couldn't be a bit more useful than they often are. Kristen has plenty of insights into how to make panels more effective. But before we get to the interview, we want to take a moment to thank Your Membership, our sponsor for the first quarter of 2017. Your Membership's learning management system is specifically designed for professional education with a highly flexible and intuitive system that customizes the learning experience. Your Membership's LMS seamlessly integrates with key systems to manage all of your educational content formats in one central location while providing powerful tools to create and deliver assessments, evaluations, and learning communities. You can find out more about Your Membership at yourmembership.com. We also want to note that recordings from our recent Learning Technology Design virtual conference are now available. We created LTD specifically for professionals in the business of continuing education and professional development, and you can get access to all of the great content delivered at the live online event by going to ltd.leadinglearning.com. Finally, Salisa, maybe you can highlight our resources for this episode as part of introducing Kristen Arnold. Well, sure. Uh, So a while back, we collaborated with the folks at Velvet Chainsaw to produce the speaker report. And our aim there was to better understand how organizations use professional and industry speakers at their meetings, conferences, other events, how they select them, what they expect for them, um, and how their educational impact is measured. And Kristen is uh, someone who read that report and then took uh, inspiration from it and went out and researched and then created the panel report. So it's got data and insights regarding the effectiveness of panel discussions at meetings, conferences, and conventions. And both of these reports, uh, our speaker report and her panel report, are free. And um, it's been a while since they were first released, but the data and the insights in them remain highly relevant for anyone who's involved in educational events uh, that involve speakers and panels. So you can get links to both of those reports by going to the show notes for this episode at leadinglearning.com slash episode 75. And these really are unique resources. I mean, I don't know anywhere else you can get the kind of information they offer. And Kristen, I know, has continued to focus on how panels can be more effective. And I'm sure you must have gotten some great insights into the in the conversation with her. Well, yeah, no, it's definitely interesting to talk with her. I mean, she's been a, a facilitator, um, a, a high-stakes meeting facilitator for, for decades now. And what she's done recently, though, is really taken kind of um, the, this niche of, of panels and really focused in um, really specifically on this, just knowing, um, as you said, that these are you know unique resources that she's created in, in the panel report because there just really isn't information out there about that sort of thing. So it's really interesting to hear what she's uh, learned in her experience. Um, she's really studied this, this particular format and, and so has a lot of great observations that come from that close study and um, uh, delving into some some 
data analysis around them as well. Well, we both have the pleasure of bumping into to Kristen at an event recently and getting to know her a little bit. Uh, had a you know very interesting conversation at the time, and I'm, I'm really interested to hear what she has to say in this interview. So let's go ahead and roll it. I'm Salisa Steele, and this is the Leading Learning Podcast. And today I'm joined by Kristen Arnold. Kristen is president and founder of Quality Process Consultants, and she's passionate about leading teams. She's a professional panel moderator, a high-stakes meeting facilitator, a speaker, and an author. Her most recent book is Powerful Panels, a step-by-step guide to moderating lively and informative panel discussions. So Kristen, thanks so much for making time to talk with me. Oh, my pleasure. My pleasure. And so to kick things off, since I offered, you know, just a pretty brief look at at what you do, would you talk a little bit more about your work and, and your background? So actually, I've been a meeting facilitator for over 20 years. Uh, back in the days of TQM, Total Quality Management, uh, I was in the Coast Guard and I was one of the first facilitators and nobody really knew what a facilitator was. So they kind of went, well, Kristen, we're reading the job description and that kind of sounds like you. So why don't we give you TQM training? But they really didn't teach me how to facilitate teams. So, um, so Lisa, I've been kind of in a, um, a lifelong learning journey of, of figuring out how to facilitate great conversations to achieve some really sustainable agreements for my entire life. And, uh, and I was in a panel discussion. I was watching a panel discussion at Ford Motor Company about three years ago, and Alan Mulally was the CEO at the time, and, and he was not available until noon to speak. And so they put two panel discussions in the morning and they were so horrible. Mm. I wanted to put needles in my eyeballs. They, I mean, they, they were just really, really horrible. And I kept writing down, if I was doing this, I would do this differently. And so I, uh, I asked myself, so if I wanted to know how to moderate a panel better, and I've been moderating panels for years, where would I go? And of course, where do we go these days whenever we have a question? Google. Google. <laughs> so I Googled it and you know, nobody really owned that space. It was, you know, a bunch of blog postings, but there really wasn't like the definitive guide. Give me the one, one place I can go that I can, I can get all this information. So I decided back three years ago that I was going to hyper niche and learn everything that I could about panel moderation. And so, you know, you, you talked about it in the sense of there being this lack of information, but was there anything else that sort of, you know, led you to focus in particularly on the, the panel format, um, you know, given your broader experience in facilitation and, and moderating? Yeah, because it's such a great format when it's done right. Like when you see a panel discussion done well, you're like, oh, wow, that was really cool. That was unexpected. I got some information, some insider information. I got a behind the scenes look. I'm, I'm in the know. I got access to these people. So there's a lot of different reasons why people go to panels and it works well, but it's a crapshoot. In uh, 2014, I did a little bit of a research study. I interviewed uh, or I took a survey of 539 uh, executives and meeting organizers and asked them their opinion about panels. And shockingly, 68% said panels are okay or worse. Mm. And I think that that's just a crapshoot. So, okay, I put a panel on my program. I write up a topic description. I get somebody who I think can moderate, a couple of panelists, and then I walk away. And it is a really lazy format 
that you would never do that to any other part of your program. We put more thought into the food prep and the menu than we do. <laughs> it's a panel. And I just think that that's a travesty. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. Um, and I'm realizing before we get too much further, you know, I think we should step back and, and define panel. I think it can be one of those deceptively simple terms. Like we think we all know what a, what a panel is, but maybe we have slightly different working definitions. So would you give us your definition of what a panel is and maybe what it isn't? Well, when I define panel, uh, it's a specific meeting format and it typically consists of a moderator and several thought leaders or practitioners within a company or industry. And that's usually a conversation, conversation that lasts for about 45 to maybe 90 minutes. And the format usually consists of, uh, you know, like some introductory remarks. There's some, um, some moderated Q and a, uh, Q and a with the audience. And then you summarize that being said, that's the format that Harry Overstreet back in 1932, here's your Cliff Clavin factoid for the day. Uh, he is the first one who documented this format back in uh, 1932. And he said, the one unforgivable offense is to stand up and give a presentation. Hmm. And it just kills me that, that there are so many panel quote unquote discussions, there are more, a bunch of presentations, mini presentations, and then we run out of time for Q and A. And really the reason why I think it's such a rich format is because of the discussion amongst the panelists and with the audience. And that's really where the richness occurs. Mm, And sort of in that, the unplanned, the unexpected, or maybe I shouldn't say unplanned because I guess it is well orchestrated and that's your point. Um, if, if to really draw out though, those observations that come out of that interplay and exchange among the panelists and the moderator. Yeah. I would say it's planned so that you can encourage spontaneity, Mm. which is, you know, so you need to have some good planning and thought process so that it's not the same old dull, boring panel, um, and there's some really great things that you could do to add a little pizzazz um, and panache to your panel. Um, but if you don't really think about it, if you just like put the panel in play and you walk away, then you're going to get a crapshoot. It might be good based on the people who are there, but it might not. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, within that definition of panel, there's some room for variation, right? So, so maybe talk a little bit about some of the kind of common types or, or subgenres that you see of, of panels. Well, I mean, the, the typical one is that there's a main stage panel. So um, you've got a conference and you bring your main speakers together. Let's say your conference was on innovation and you bring your main speakers together and you have a panel discussion for 30 minutes, 45 minutes. Um, and... Uh, usually that does not consist of Q and a with audience. Um, so you can have that kind of, of, um, panel discussion and I call that a main stage. Mm -hmm. So that's the, that's the very basic one. Now, what you can do is add Q and a to it. So then that, that would be uh, a discussion where you've got, you know, Q and a to it. You, uh, so, you know, you can decide how much you want, um, a lot of people do uh, an initial remark style where each pre- each panelist will have, you know, two, three minutes to tee up some information. I recommend nothing more than five. Um, and then you'd go into some moderated questions and then Q&A from the audience. Um, or uh, you can, I don't recommend it, it's my least favorite, is what I call the presentation style. 
um, where you give people longer presentations. A lot of people do this in educational formats, mm-hmm. uh, but those are the most common panel formats. Now, I like to kick it into high gear and do something different. I mean, we're all used to these TV shows, talk shows um, on on television, uh, whether it's Oprah or um, you know Ellen DeGeneres or The View or The Chew or you know Jimmy Fallon or you know you name it. Whether it's late night, um, early morning, mid afternoon, whatever. There's there's usually a genre of talk show that maybe your audience is familiar with. And I think that you can do a riff off of that, Mm -hmm. you know, just have fun with it. Like find out all the elements of that talk show, all the visual elements, all the process elements, um, and then just try to mimic them and have fun with it. And the audience will like, oh my gosh, this is so fun. This is so creative. And you really don't even have to do that, like work that hard. I I mean, people have such low expectations (laughs) for panels, like just, just doing something kind of cute would be great. Uh huh. <laughs> and and so you know you're talking about kind of having fun with it and and um, trying some things and maybe tied to this or maybe maybe not. But you know, are there situations or topics that that seem particularly well suited to that panel format, or you know, on the other hand, situations or topics that that seem particularly inappropriate for a panel or sort of destined to be bad. Ooh, that's an interesting question. Um, I think most the the best kind of panels have some kind of controversy to mm-hmm. it. So that means that there are differences of opinion. So if you have a panel that everybody is shaking their head, going, "Oh, I agree, I agree." Mm-hmm. Well, you know that's kind of boring. But I just did a panel on risk assessment in the meetings industry, and that could be a very boring topic. And most of the panelists were pretty in pretty solid agreement that they, that, you know, venues and event organizers need to do a much better uh, risk analysis and then put together a safety and security plan. Um, and at one point I asked in the room, I just said, so let's just do a straw poll. Um, how many of you have documented security plans? And only 10% of the people raised their hands, Mm. which was really kind of shocking. And it was like, well, we've got some work here to do. Um, but the way that I, that I created the panel is we started with the audience first and said, what keeps you up at night? So they chatted with their neighbor for, you know, like 45 seconds. And then we debrief that. And then we asked the panelists, well, what is a specific scenario that you have faced And what I did is I stopped them in the middle of their conversation. I told them I was going to do this and said, well, let's ask the audience, what would they do if they were faced facing this kind of this situation? Mm. So then we debrief what the audience would do. And then we went back to the panelists and said, so what did you do in order to make sure that you made your meetings as safe and secure as possible? So there was there's a give and a take versus the typical panel discussion would be, hey, we're just going to let the panelists talk for 30 minutes and then we're going to go to Q and a, and you know, it's, it, it, people just feel more passive Mm -hmm. in the traditional format. But if you can think through, I think the best, best ones have controversy, but then even something that where there isn't controversy, you can still build in that audience engagement and interest. Mm -hmm. No. And I think that idea of getting people kind of out of that passive mode, um, 
definitely supports good learning too, right? That, that if we're going to take something away from that panel discussion, we need to be invested as, as, as a learner, as a, as a member of that audience. And so I think what you were just describing in terms of kind of getting them to think through how they would approach a particular situation seems like a great example of how to get genuine and meaningful um, engagement with the audience. Yeah. And the other thing that it did for this audience is it real, they realized, and I got a lot of great feedback from it. They realized just how much work they need to do Mm. (laughs) right now. And and it was like, oh my gosh, now you could, you could have a panelist say, you've got a lot of work that you need to do. I mean, I took a poll and I said, you know, it looks like there's a lot of work that needs to be done, but they walked away internally going, oh my gosh. Mm. I realize it because I've had to, to speak, what would I do in these situations? And I'm, I'm, you know, during the headlights, I don't know, or I haven't thought about it, or I haven't documented it, or my team doesn't know about it. So I I think panels are a, a neat way of, of giving people a window in a conversational way that they can, that, that they're getting information that they can't get anyplace else. Mm-hmm. That's a great example. And so it's come up in what we're talking about that, you know, it seems like they're kind of these three key players um, who factor into how a panel pans out, whether it turns out to be really great or or more on that boring end of things. You know, so we have the moderator and we have the panelists and we have the audience. And I know you write and, and talk a lot about the role of the moderator and the panelists and how to improve their parts. Are there things that we can do to help the audience members be better participants in a panel? Um, you know, that's kind of an, an interesting question. Um, you know, I, I think part of it is preparing them. And now that people are using social media much more, it's, um, you know, you can kind of get them interested and excited. You can even ask them questions like, what is it that you want to know in this panel so that they know that, that you're listening to them and that you're going to try to deliver on the promise that is, um, that is presented to them. Uh, the other thing is, is that because people don't have such a, a high expectation of panels other than at comic cons, which is another <laughs> conversation, um, is that when, when you have people walking into the room, what are you doing visually? Um, as well as it, I guess, emotionally auditory, what are you doing that tells them, Oh, this is going to be different. I mean, if you have the black, uh, draped table with the microphone stands and the chairs behind the table and the lectern to the side, you know, that just indicates to people, this is going to be boring, (laughs) you know, so, so you can, you can spice it up visually and, you know, just let people know, oh, this is, this is going to be different. So trying to potentially get them prepped by inviting questions or, soliciting their expectations ahead of time and then giving them those cues when they come in that this is going to be something different and get them to engage. Yeah. I mean, there's lots of different ways that you can do it. I mean, a lot of, a lot of meeting organizers will look at room set, but you could have people, um, the panelists actually mingling with the, with the audience. A lot of panelists like to sit up in front and talk to each other and you could put question cards that are on their chair. You can put some instructions on the, on the screen that says, Oh, we're using some meeting technology to solicit your questions, you know, get people engaged right at the bat. I mean, you don't have to wait until the panel actually starts. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That's great. 
And so, you know, you're giving some great ideas and, and tips here, but um, why don't you talk a little bit about some of the common mistakes that, that you see with panels? Um, uh, you know, you've, I guess, just talked some there about room set, but maybe you have some other examples, maybe from the panelist side uh, and from the moderator side. Well, uh, back in 2014, this panel report, which, by the way, your listeners can download, um, I collected the 10 biggest pet peeves, (laughs) (laughs) which is both from the moderator and the panelist side. And then I also uh, consolidated the top 10 mistakes that panelists make and the top 10 that moderators make. But the biggest pet peeves is, first and foremost, having an ineffective moderator, um, if you have brilliant panelists, but a bad moderator, you will get a ho-hum, not great panel. Um, because for lots of reasons the the moderator doesn't let the panelists speak or the moderator hogs the airtime or doesn't ask good probing questions or doesn't have a good format. I mean, there's all kinds of things that an ineffective, unskilled moderator can really do that can derail a, an otherwise great panel discussion. However, if you have a really skilled moderator and you have some, you know, not such great panelists, not great speakers, a great moderator can pull out their brilliance and mm. make that, make them shine, uh, can, and, and as a moderator, and I do this a lot professionally, I, my primary goal isn't to make the panelists shine. My primary goal is to be a champion for the audience, to deliver on the promise and make sure that the panelists are delivering solid, great information to the audience. And so I can, uh, you know, as a, a skilled moderator can pull out that information, those nuggets and work with those panelists ahead of time to make sure that they come prepared. Hmm. I really like that uh, view of the moderator as being that champion for, for the audience and getting at least for part of the the panel session time, usually also getting to be the voice in a way for for the for the audience. Yeah, especially if you've got an audience that's a big audience that you're not really doing that much Q and A with. You have to represent what their what their ideas, what their thoughts are, and steer them. It, you know, because they might want to do their own agenda. They and that's a, a problem with some panelists. It's one of the the. Um, uh, top 10 mistakes is a panelist might get too promotional Mm. or they might uh, get too self-serving, just like the Oscar speech, Meryl Streep, (laughs) you know, it's like, Oh man, we got to pull. And that actually happened on a panel that I was uh, moderating. I had to intervene in a nice way and say, excuse me, is what you're going to say going to benefit the audience? Mm. And she looked at me kind of like, Oh, I think I'm going to kill the moderator. And she (laughs) said, you know, yes, I will. And then she, she took a slight turn on her comments and delivered something that the panel, that the audience would appreciate. Whereas if I hadn't have intervened, I can tell you it was going to go South Mm. quickly. Well, that's great. It's a great example. And we will make sure to link to that, um, your 2014 report so that people can see some of those other mistakes and pet peeves. But, you know, let's talk a little bit about how do we overcome the kind of common mistakes? What are some best practices for preparing for a great panel? Well, I think, um, first of all, selecting a good moderator. And, uh, you know, there's lots of different ways that you can select it. Um, Just make sure that you use the same due diligence that you would for anyone that you would be having to come speak. Um, The other thing is, is that I would make sure 
that the panelists come prepared. Um, you know, it's more than just showing up and throwing up. <laughs> That's what I call it. <laughs> Show up and throw up. You know, so you coach your panelists to come prepared with what are their top three things that they want to express to the audience and then come prepared to um, share a story that illuminates that point, make sure that it's concise and clear. And the other thing that I ask them to do is what are your three Twitterable sound bites? And I realize that that's probably a little um, too social media focused, but what it does is it'll, it helps them focus in on what's really important and what they want people to remember. Because when I go into the restroom after uh, one of these panel discussions, I want to hear chatter in the restroom and I want to hear one of those sound bites. That means the message has gotten through. That message is sticky. It's something that people go, oh man, I didn't think about it that way before. Or, oh gosh, that was a really good point. So I ask them to do their homework, um, which I think is really helpful. And then the other thing that I do is I, I make sure that there's a drumbeat of conversation. So from the moment I start talking to them, I, I tell them, we want this to be conversational. Don't be too staid and polite, polite and correct. I mean, our audiences are used to talk shows of people interrupting each other, of making it very conversational, just like a water cooler conversation. And I think sometimes people get on panels and they just try to look too perfect. Mm. And, and people don't want that. Right. They want they want behind the scenes look. That's great. So, you know, you have been, as you said at the beginning, you know, working in this field for a couple of decades at this point. So, um, you know, what changes have you seen? You know, what did we used to do in meeting facilitation or moderation or more specifically with panels that, that we just don't do anymore? <laughs> you know, I think we still do the same. <laughs> stable. You know, I, I wish I could say, Ooh, we're, uh, we're evolving. Um, and that's one reason why I'm kind of on this crusade. Salisa is, is just, I think that there's so much more opportunity to make them, you know, to reinvent the panel, to make it more interesting and engaging and bring it into, you know, modern day adult learning theory. I mean, I think, I, I think the traditionalist boomer audiences, we were, we were fine sitting there and opening our mouths and our heads and saying dump information in. And I, I just think that audiences today, and it's not just the younger audiences. I think, I think audiences today want to be more engaged in, in the process and they want, they want to see, see more of themselves. And so I think that there are a lot of really neat formats. If you're, if you're really, um, uh, you know, you, you're really creative and, and you're willing to take a risk. I mean, one of my favorite formats is that one of the panelists is an empty chair, mm. which means anyone from the audience can come sit in that chair and speak their truth. And then, um, if somebody else comes up behind them and touches their shoulder, then that person has to finish their thought remove themselves from the chair and the next person gets to be in the chair. It's kind of like musical chairs. Mm -hmm. um, and if you're really, really, um, you know, want to take a risk, then all the chairs become empty chairs. You start with some original panelists, but then you allow the audience to mix in. And that is a really cool format. That's so interesting. Uh, Jeff and I actually use that a little over a year ago when we, we have a learning technology design conference in our we did do one of those kind of open chair um, mm -hmm. panel formats. And it was, it's really, I think, interesting and appropriate for the, you know, a certain group in a certain context. And these were all 
folks in the learning field. So it made sense and they were willing to engage and do that. Um, but it sounds like you said, so not, you haven't seen a whole lot of evolution to date uh, in the, the panel format. Um, you know, you're trying to, uh, as you described it, you're on this crusade to make them better. I mean, do you think that there are kind of big developments coming down the, the, the pipe that we're going to see for panels? Uh, any big changes that you think are on the horizon? I think that that there and you know you and and Jeff really know about this is that there are um, organizations that are on the leading edge of really adult learning um, theory and that they are trying new formats and it all depends on the audience the size of the audience the culture of the audience um, you know you were talking about doing your your open seat as you called it. Um, with a bunch of people who are adult learning theorists, educators, who would appreciate this and treat it with the respect that it's due. You probably wouldn't want to do that with a a different kind of audience. Let's Mm -hmm. just put it that way. You know, so, so I think it's about, you know, finding people who are willing to take risks, who are willing to say, Hey, let's try this idea. Um, Hugh Lee at um, Fusion Productions, he did uh, a show called Digital Now, and he had the main stage presenter talk for 30, 40 minutes, and then he had the panelists in the four corners of the room, and the moderator moderated the four corners of the room. Now, I think that that's a pretty innovative format. Mm-hmm. I think sometimes, it prob- depending on how many people are in the room, the size of the ballroom, da-da-da, you know, sometimes it would probably go over really well, and in other situations, you might it might not, you know, and, and you really don't know because of how people are going to take that really unique format. You could do a panel in the round, much like we're now starting to see room sets of the speaker, the main stage being in the center of the room and the, and the chairs being around. Well, you can do a panel in the round. It's a little bit more complicated, a few more moving parts. Um, but you're taking a risk because people aren't used to it and they're going to go, Hmm, check that out. And you know, you're always going to have somebody who's going to go, I didn't like that. (laughs) And and does the meeting planner then go, Oh my gosh, one person said on their evaluation that they hated that new format. We'll never do it again. Right. Or not. Or you take that (laughs) with the grain of salt due. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Um, but I think, I think people, there are several people, um, fortunately who are, who are really experimenting and I'm, I'm excited to see that. And I'm trying to chronicle all of those. So if you or any of the listeners, you've got some really uh, neat, you unique things that you've seen people do in a panel format, shoot them on over to me. I'm, I'm collecting them all. I'm putting them all together in a compendium, calling it 101 ways to add more pizzazz to your panels. Great. That sounds like a great resource. And, and the next to last question that I want to ask you um, has to do with your own lifelong learning since this is the Leading Learning Podcast. Just talk a little bit about how you uh, go about um, continuing to learn and develop your own skills and knowledge. Well, if you're talking about in the panel world, this is going to sound really bizarre. Um, there aren't that many books on panels, by the way. Um, there really isn't that much out there, but I have a Google alert um, that whenever anything comes up, panel moderation, panelist, panel uh, discussion, I get an alert and I read what those people are doing. And I just try to cull some of the best practices and 
you know, just kind of get a, get an appreciation for what people are doing out there. Um, and then try to formulate my own ideas about how we can make these better. And, um, in lifelong learning, I think part of it is, um, Matt Church, who uh, specializes in the thought leadership space, he said something that that really resonated with me. And he said, you know, when you when you read other people's stuff, it's best practices, rather than saying yes, but is ask yourself yes, and. And so when I take in some of this information, I'll ask myself, yes, and how can, how can we elevate that? How can we make it better? How can we um, improve it? And so um, I'm a voracious reader. I have a newsletter that I have a, from the bookshelf. So um, every month I make sure that I'm reading at least one really, really good business book. But I also read one really, really good fiction book because I think fiction also helps us be creative and, and look at things a little differently. Absolutely. I definitely agree there. And so last question, uh, if listeners want to know more about you or connect with you, where would you have them look? Or go? Well, you can go to www.powerfulpanels.com. Uh, there's a free video course uh, on how to moderate a panel. I encourage any of your listeners who want more information. And it's, there's a treasure trove of all kinds of ideas in the blog, uh, blog listings. Um, feel free to reach out at my email, Kristen at extraordinaryteam.com. That's my main site as a meeting facilitator. Well, great. Thank you so much for taking time to talk with me, Kristen. Thank you so much, Salisa. That wraps up our interview with Kristen Arnold. As we're exiting, we want to say thanks once again to your membership for being the sponsor of this episode of the podcast and for all of Q1 2017. You can find out more about your membership at yourmembership.com. And we also want to mention once again that recordings from Learning Technology Design, or LTD, are a virtual conference specifically for professionals in the business of continuing education and professional development, are now available. You can get all the details and sign up for those at ltd.leadinglearning.com. To get show notes for this episode, go to leadinglearning.com slash episode 75. As part of those notes, you'll find a link to access Kristen Arnold's panel report, as well as the speaker report that we here at Tagoras published with Velvet Chainsaw. Also, while you're there, you will see various options for subscribing to the podcast. And if you're getting value out of what you hear, we would be truly grateful if you would subscribe. And as always, we would also be grateful if you take just a minute to give us a rating over on iTunes. All you have to do is go to leadinglearning.com slash iTunes. That'll direct you to where you need to be. And we really appreciate you doing that. Uh, you know, it helps us know that you're getting value out of the podcast. It also helps others find the podcast as they're searching for great content about the business of lifelong learning on iTunes. Finally, consider telling others about the podcast. You can send out a tweet simply by going to leadinglearning.com slash share, or if tweeting isn't your thing, you can pick another social network of your preference and spread the good word that way. So thanks again, and we'll see you next time on the Leading Learning Podcast. (laughs) 